0: happy saturday everyone welcome to unsupervised leadership season two we are so excited to be back and courtney who would have thought we would have had a season
1: two nobody did especially not me but this was your vision Mm -hmm. and now it has actually come to fruition and we have the ambition to be professional podcasters thank you yeah and it's gonna happen because
0: after the two ladies we met today they believe in us so we believe in ourselves
1: Yeah, I'm ready to run through a brick wall after talking to these two,
0: aren't you? Listen, I am too, but you know why everybody really tuned in today? They want to know what we're drinking.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, can we just talk about this? Because I think on our summer session, let me emphasize the word session. Session. Right. At the summer session, we didn't really talk about weight loss journeys, what's happening with us. But I need everyone to know, I have not been drinking Blue Moons for weeks. (laughs) I don't know if it's been months yet, but weeks for the sole purpose, quite honestly, to try to drop a few. I don't know that it's working, Kate, but today I'm back to what I love the most and it's Prosecco. However, we just came from Pollyanna. I thought we had an amazing, (laughs) an amazing time. We did see one of the owners of Pollyanna at the ribbon cutting for central school in the school district where you work. And I used to work. And I was like, listen, I think that you need to sponsor this podcast. And he looked at me like I had five heads, but he was laughing. And all I could think was we love Pollyanna. We We still don't, we, we still don't have a sponsor, but today personally, I'm drinking Prosecco. I've not had any Blue Moon, but I will tell you just about everywhere I go, people are like, I love Blue Moon too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We, I still love Blue Moon and I'm not going to lie. I have not given up beer like you. We're going to keep you guys updated on our weight loss journey. It's a struggle. Okay. We, if we knew the magic secret, we would tell everyone by now. We have not found anything that really works
1: yet. (laughs) But let's be honest, this whole diet and exercise thing, it might be something, I mean, I was thinking yesterday, I might have to break down and do the diet and exercise thing. But what we're not telling people is that you and I had an amazing time going through my entire closet mm-hmm. and you tried on a multitude of clothes that I'm like, I'm getting rid of these, but before I do, do you want them? Yeah. How many clothes do you think that, how many, how many pieces do you think you
0: walked out with? I, probably like a hundred. So here's, here's what happened. I'm in this phase of my life where I'm like, not the size I used to be. And I'm definitely not a size bigger yet. So I still try and like squeeze into things that I'm like, yeah, I can definitely wear this. And I think I spent like an hour trying on all the clothes in your closet that you're giving away. And I took them and then I wore one of them like the first week of school and people were like, "Oh my god, that dress is so cute. Where would they come from?" I'm like, "Courtney's closet." <laughs> cuz I'm no shame in my game. Like, this is where I got it from. My friend gave it to me. You guys should all borrow your clothes from your friends. It's still 1999 and
1: we are still in middle school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm all for that. 100%. Yeah. And then you're dropping off a bathing suit to me and I started laughing cuz I'm like, do people actually fit into bottoms that look like this? And you're like, it's a thing. I'm like, it's not a thing for 47 year old women. (laughs) Okay. Giving it back to you. I tried it on. I started laughing. I was crying and now it's coming back to you. And I appreciate the thought that you even felt that I could wear this, but I'm not wearing it. You could wear it. Okay.
0: For everybody that's listening, that's probably like, what is happening right now? I went to Greece, lost my luggage, ordered a bunch of new bathing suits because I didn't have any, because they were all in my suitcase. And I came home and I can't give them back because they just sent them all to me. And it's like a non-refundable policy. And I already have them since I found my bag. So I gave them to Courtney and she can wear them.
1: She's just choosing to be difficult right now. No, No, the reality is for most women listening to the podcast, they're like, actually, Courtney cannot wear those. And it's super kind of Kate to think that she can, but legitimately she can't. I will tell you, this is one of the struggles that I feel like females face all of the time, putting on a bathing suit, having a great pair of jeans. What are the shorts that you're going to wear? I've struggled with my weight my entire life. I've had thin moments and then I have had Not even close to thin moments. And the older that I get, the more struggle that I have with it. And I'm sure that we have people out there listening to it. And you and I talk about this every single day. day. Hey, we're in it together, right?
0: Yeah. And it doesn't matter because as long as we're happy, that's all that counts. It's what I've been telling myself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Keep
0: telling yourself that. (laughs) Yeah. It's fine. I'm going to give you guys a good update. I'm going to try something. We're going to talk about it, but beyond our weight loss journey, we've had a lot going on, haven't we, Courtney? Gosh,
1: what have we not had going on? I'll tell you the month of August has been wild, at least for me personally. And I know for you, you're starting a school year, all of our administrators out there that are starting up again, our educators. I have such a cool job that I get around to the state of Illinois, talking to people not only in Carbondale at the very Southern piece of Illinois, but all the way up in McHenry and the East, the West, you name it. And I have been able to talk to thousands of educators who are getting ready to start their school year. I've been on the road. That's basically what I've been doing. I've been driving around talking to tons of educators. My own kids have been able to start their school year and they're having a great time already. So It's just been a a crazy August. What about you?
0: I've been doing nothing. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I've been, I've been really just hanging out. out. Um, no, I went to a new school. So now I have a second and third grade building, um, before I had preschool through second grade. so a little shift. Um, It's been great. It's been super interesting to bring two families together. I say that when I talk about my grade level teams, I think the beginning of the school year is hard for everybody. It's hard for kids. It's hard for parents. Actually, no parents are like, here you go. Take my kid, (laughs) but (laughs) like administrators, teachers, students, it's a shift. It's a change. And my biggest like hurdle I try and figure out in the very beginning of the year is how to make our staff and our kids feel comfortable in school. I think there's a lot of pressure right now after COVID to have the highest test scores, to be the best school, to achieve all these great things, but We often overlook like the idea of feeling safe and actually enjoying going to school every day. And I think that's something that we, you and I talk about a lot, Courtney, do kids go to school and are they happy, right? Do they have friends? Do they feel safe? Do they like their teacher? Um, What's their class community look like? And then they can learn. So for me, that's a huge push. And I think that with that comes time and it's a philosophical change sometimes, but I think it's something super important for
1: everybody. It totally is. And I think one of the best things about being a teacher is that you get a new, new fresh start every year But sometimes as a parent, I have found it's a stress to have a fresh start every year because you relearn everything every year with a new teacher, a new team. I will say that my daughter started a new school this year. She's very bright. She qualified for this honors program. I was so nervous. She doesn't have a familiar face. I debated, do I contact the teacher? Or do I not? Of course I went ahead and did it at the advice of one of my good friends. Who's also an elementary teacher. I'm so glad that I did because this teacher reston- responded so beautifully. She was kind. She was caring. She was responsive. She didn't make me feel crazy. And really, I know that my daughter is smart, but what I value most, does she have a friend? Yeah. Is she. Is she, does she have socialization at lunch at recess? And this teacher really confirmed that. And when I went to curriculum and I just walked up to her and I'm like, I'm here just to say a simple thank you. I think the work that educators do is so critically important and they do change lives. Some of the littlest things that we do as educators make such a huge difference. So for You know, everybody that's ever had an opportunity to teach both of my kids, I just want to say thank you because I couldn't do what I do every day professionally if I didn't have all of these people personally. And I've been really blessed. Parents really struggle with do you call, do you not call? What does this look like? And I struggle with that every single day. But for me personally, this has been a really great start to both of my kids' school year, which makes me at ease as a parent. And I know for you, even you know, for you, for your teachers. We struggle every single day with, when do we call? How do we call? What does it look like? When Mm -hmm. should we respond? And I know what your philosophy is on that.
0: (laughs) I call all the time, almost to a fault. And I, at the beginning of the year, you and I had talked all the time about have teachers call home and don't have them call home for something bad. Have them call home for here. I'm your kid's teacher. I just want to let you know, like, this is who I am. This is how you contact me. Tell me something about your kid. We say that every year, how important it is, and we never give people time. And I hate it. It's so annoying because how am I going to hold my staff to an expectation of calling and making time for parents when I don't give them the time to do it? So, this year, during PLCs, Tuesday, Thursdays, from now until after Labor Day weekend, they have the time every morning to call parents in their kids' classrooms. And you know what's so amazing about that is they were never given the time before. And now they're like, hey, do you know that I got to hear about their first day of school from their dad? Or I got to hear about, they were so excited when they walked into my room and this is the first thing that they saw. And they would have never gotten that experience if it hadn't been for the opportunity of them to call parents. And I also think that when people send their kids to school, everyone on here is probably a parent or knows somebody that's a parent. You're nervous. You're at work. You're freaked out. Does my kid have someone to sit at lunch with? Do they have somebody to play at recess with? They're scared to walk in the hallway. Um, what do they do if they lose, you know, get lost in the hallway or they can't find their classroom? Those are the things that we should always be able to make parents feel at ease about everything else. Curricularly, we've gone to school and we can figure that out, but being a good human is something you can't teach. So I feel like that's the most important part about education. And
1: unfortunately, I find that it's the most overlooked 90% of the time. That's why you and I get along so well. (laughs) That is absolutely my philosophy. And I will tell you as a principal and a superintendent, I never gave teachers the time that they needed or deserved to be able to do those things. Yet the one question that I always asked teachers was, if I hire you, you're going to call every single parent. (laughs) And then I never really had a mechanism to be able to follow up. And I very much regret that, especially now, some of the most simple things that we think about in education, we just don't put into practice on a day-to-day basis. And so for those of you that are listening, that are out there, guess what? It's September. You still got time. Oh yeah. September, December, March, there's never a bad time to be able to engage. And I've always said, you don't get to choose if, or be mad if parents are not involved and then be mad if parents are too involved. Hey, guess what? Parents do the absolute best that they can every single day. We have a huge responsibility ahead of us. It's, I think it's awesome. I love what I do. I love what you do. And I have never been an educator yet that I'm not like you are important and you matter. You know, what's funny is education is such a different realm. I have friends and you have friends that
0: work in business, that work in marketing, that are in accounting, you know, they do all kinds of different things and they might make more money because that's something that I hear a lot in education right now. And I was, you know, used to that when you're like, oh, you only make this much if you're in education and everybody else can do X, Y, and Z and they get a bigger paycheck and they do a better thing. But if you're in a school or a place where you feel respected and supported and you know, you make a difference for kids. That's something other people are never gonna get. And I love it. And it's such a, it's like not a secret because people talk about it. And recently it's been turned into a, well, that's, you know, you loving your job is great, but me paying for this is better. And I get that. But you know what? At the end of the day, when you retire or when you become, you know, 70 and you're sitting at home and you're thinking about all the different things you did, I would hope that people are gonna sit down and think, I changed this many lives for the better. And these many kids grew up. They learned how to get confidence. Maybe I taught them how to read. Maybe they came back and showed me that they got a scholarship. Maybe they didn't, and they went to trade school. Those things are things you can't put a price tag on. I mean, you can retire and say you sold X amount of money or made this many deals, and that might be great in the time being. But
1: I think your legacy and your impact on people are always more important. And educators have the most important and profound role to be able to do that. I think part of the issue with education is that you don't know the impact that you have until 20 years later yeah. when these kids go and they do all of their amazing careers and they come back and they're like, Hey, you made a difference in my life. And you're like, really? I thought you hated me. You were the most difficult kid that I ever taught in my <laughs> entire career. Yeah. Really? You liked me. What? But I think that kids care about, Hey, um, do you have a dog? Oh my gosh. Do you have a first name? Hey, you drive an orange Corvette. Wow. What do you, <laughs> I mean, really, I think that kids want to know who you are as a human. And once you can connect with kids like that in any way, shape or form, I don't care if they're kindergarten or seniors in high school, then they're going to care about what you're teaching them. But first they want to know about who you are as a human, make a yeah. connection with kids I, I and to me, that's the coolest part of the job. And we we find educators doesn't matter what the title is. It's not about you know leaders is not a title. It's always about educators. But we see this across the entire country. People are burnout. Public education is under fire. And let me tell you, I'm going to fight every chance that I get, and I know you will too, to tell people that public education matters. Educators matter kids matter, communities matter, parents matter, and we've got to do a better job at humanizing our profession.
0: That's probably the biggest thing people are afraid of. And it's the easiest thing to do. I hate that in education, people are like, Oh, you're a teacher or, Oh, you're a principal. People can't know your first name or where you live or your favorite music. It's just like, why, what does that have to do with anything? Even parents, like, I think there's this old school mentality that parents have to view you as like an authoritarian figure in school and you give out the rules and the consequences and that's about it. And it's like, what is that about? That's such a different mentality. I mean, it's even different than when I grew up, because when I grew up, I never knew my principal. I was scared of them. (laughs) And now it's like, if a kid said they were scared of me, I'd probably be super offended because I always think like. Think about the time and the outreach you can have to help people in positions that we have. Families, kids, parents, whoever that is. It's amazing when you really think about it. It's
1: totally amazing, which is much like this podcast. This podcast, I'll be honest, I was a little bit apprehensive, as everyone knows. And here we are in season two. This is your vision coming to life, Kate. And I know over the summer... We did a summer session. You like to call it sesh, but it's not a summer session. And the ultimate goal is for us to be able to at least give a little, hey, we're still here. We're alive. We're still drinking. As you know, we're still working nonstop. And would anybody like to be on stage? If you are a female, what are your thoughts on that? And I know that we also had... A couple of people write in to us and we had quite a few comments on Twitter about this idea. And the idea is really nothing more than we don't take anything away from our male counterparts. But quite honestly, we have incredible, amazing females across this country that can stand on the stage just like our male counterparts do in keynote institute days, school improvement days, all of those things. Kate, what did we have some people say to us about this? So we
0: had people respond to us in our emails. For example, we had someone write in back in early August that said, I believe I do a good job speaking and presenting, but I believe I could do better if I could stop overthinking everything that I say. I have overcome many of life's adversities, teen parenting, domestic violence, rebuilding and relocating, racial discrimination, and race-based trauma. Life for me hasn't been a crystal stair, but now I'm thriving. I would love to be a part of this awesome coaching opportunity. You can reach me by email or by phone anytime, twirling around in my stilettos, and then they signed their name, which, Hey, listen, if we give even one person, the idea that we can do more things together or give somebody some motivation to go speak about their adversities or things. I'm going to tell you what, the best people I ever learned from in education were people that had a very different background. They're people who came from different circumstances. They weren't afraid to share their life stories. They were like, this is who I am. And this is what I became because of that.
1: And I'm proud of it. That's probably the most powerful speakers I've ever listened to. What about you, Court? I think we have amazing speakers across this country. And what I do love is that that's a female that sees the ambition and something in her, but she needs the confidence and motivation to be able to get on that stage and say, yes, I can do this. And I think that we have a lot of females sitting out there right now that are plagued with self-doubt perfectionism. Nothing's ever good enough. Am I good enough? Can I really do that? everyone has a story. The question is how much are we willing to get out there and tell it? And I think for a lot of females, we like to do our thing. We keep our focus. We don't want to be braggy, showy being on the grand stage. We're like, Oh, that's not us. But I think that there are so many females. In fact, I I don't think I've ever met a female yet that I don't look at and think you could be on that stage, girlfriend. So whatever we can do to be able to do that, and be able to encourage it. I think we have to do that for each other. And when I read that email, much like you, Kate, I thought there's a lot of work to be done in this particular area. I've got an eight-year-old turning nine, and I think I want her to be on the big stage because I think she can do it. And we have women at all ages, all different experiences, all life experiences that have so much to offer. And we just simply need to give them the space to be able to do that. I don't know. That's my thought. What's your thought?
0: I have a lot of thoughts. And I think my (laughs) you know, I do because I like go back and forth in my head, right? And I contemplate this. Like at what point in our lives, because you and I grew up in slightly different decades, like I always try and think about totally different. You're so nice. We grew up in very different decades. (laughs) Decades. Okay. okay, Okay, But like I try and think back to a time in my life that I realized that I noticed an actual difference being a female and getting like a leadership or a higher position job. I don't think I ever paid attention to that until there was like this overwhelming, oh, there's not that many females that are a principal, or there's not that many females that are superintendents, or there's not, oh, you're going to go get your doctorate. Well, what if you have a kid? What if you do this? Like, those are questions that I think society asks. And I just wonder at what point in our life did we learn that, right? Because it's a learned behavior. It might be generational. It might be societal. It might be the things that we watch, but it baffles my mind because I think that women that I've met in education and sometimes not even in education have a higher EI than anyone I've ever met. Emotional intelligence, which when you think about people who can move people and read people in a room, you want that. You want somebody who can connect with the parent, with the student, with the staff member, with the person down the street and figure out what they're feeling to figure out how we can make a solution. And I think it amazes me because I think women are so powerful that maybe they just haven't been given that opportunity for a long time because people have never given them a shot. I don't know, but it's wild.
1: I feel like male or female, it's all about what the things that we're going to hear about from Ashley Stone and Sue Inquist today. It's about the obsession with motivating people, coaching people. And I don't, I don't think that that is gender related. I can think of males that do that really well. And I can think of females that do that really well, but I think that more men are given the opportunity versus females. I've just had an opportunity in the last month alone and when I look back, I'm like, wow, I wish, I mean, cause I know a lot of females that absolutely, if you heard them speak for 20 minutes, you would think I'll run through a wall for yeah. you. And that's going to happen for our listeners today with Sue and Ashley, don't you think?
0: Yeah. Cause they're amazing. And you know, what's funny is I've never actually heard them speak. So you Courtney have known both of them, asked them to come on the podcast. So I was like, okay, read up on them, figured out all the great things that they did, super accomplished people. And I love listening to inspirational people, like inspirational podcasts, uh, movies, songs, anything like that. It really like gets to me. So I was like, all right, let me hear what these women have to say. And like halfway through, I was like, all right, yeah. Like we're going to go do something. We're going to go start a a presentation. We're going to go, play a game we're going to do something which is great because i feel like people who are in education specifically are always driven by motivational people because they have to be motivational people themselves every day with their kids so any opportunity we can give people to have another outlet to see another way to hear somebody else motivate them or give them some sort of spark of inspiration good for it, good for those speakers because we need more of that
1: we really do i think people seek Love and are constantly looking for motivation in their lives. People will say to me, When do you think this therapy thing is going to end for educators? You know what my response to that is? How about never? Because it should have been all along. And it took the pandemic for us to really take a step back and say, What are we gonna, going to do for educators? I think that every educator needs a great therapist. Yeah. Therapy is so critically important for all of us, no matter if you're an educator or anyone. If we think about this podcast, Kate, we don't always have just females listening to us. No, we don't. Yeah. You know what? We also have men that love this podcast. So, you know what we're going to do this season? We are going to have an episode called the men in education who love us. And we have three male superintendents and two male principals that have religiously listened to our podcast and we're going to put them all on a zoom together (laughs) Together. to be able to have a podcast. I don't know if this is the best idea or the absolute worst idea that you and I have ever come up with, but I know they're super excited, which makes me a little bit nervous, but here's the thing we've said all along, this is about men versus women, but these are men that I feel like have a very good understanding about why we're doing what we're doing. The the two people that we talked to today, one of them was talking about the fact that for females, we have lonely work Mm. and I want you to say a little bit about that before we introduce both of our guests for today, because people are in for a real treat.
0: Okay. So, one of our speakers today, and you'll hear when she's talking and we're talking with her, she talks about the concept of lonely work, like the work that you do behind the scenes every day to get to those pinnacle moments in your career or just like regular moments in your daily life, right? Like, females are the queens of lonely work, whether that's like you work all day, you take care of your kids and then you go grocery shopping, right? Like you go grocery shopping, you know what your whole family needs. You go, you don't need a list. It's like autopilot. And then you go to work and you have this big presentation and everybody claps for you when the presentation's over, but nobody acknowledges all that lonely work that has to come before those late nights, those long hours, the time that you spend by yourself, trying to finesse everything and figure it out. You don't get credit for those things. Those are the things that you do in quiet. You don't necessarily draw attention to it, but everyone wants to know how you got to this really great spot in your life, whether that's personal or professional. And nobody wants to hear the story of, well, you know, I hunker down every night. (laughs) I make sure I go grocery shopping, or I make sure my kids are fed, or I make sure that I do all the work behind the scenes to make sure that these big, important events go smoothly. And those are things that we don't talk about enough. Everybody wants to talk about the accomplishment and how great it felt that day, but nobody wants to talk about the work to get there. And that is so important. And it's so overlooked for females because females, I believe, and males too, but females more, I think, than males have the emotional, I don't want to even say intelligence, like emotional responsibility to feel like they have to take care of everybody in the room. And I think that that's something we don't address often enough. And I think it's something that when we think of people that are motivational or inspiring, think about all those things they have to do to get there all the time. And it's something that people never, ever talk about because they just want to talk about the peak of the mountain and not the way up to get there. The way to
1: get up there is a grind. Let's just say it out loud. Our two guests today do a beautiful job in speaking of that and what a, one of the things that i love most they were like hey listen let's be unplugged not only unsupervised but let's be unplugged we're like let's go so without further ado let me introduce who you're going to hear from on mm-hmm. unsupervised leadership season 2 kickoff opening episode the kickoff here we go i had an opportunity over the summer to present not only with Ashley Stone, who is the Associate Athletic Director for the Student Athlete Experience and Senior Woman Administrator at Oakland University. But I also had the opportunity to present with Sue Enquist, who is the 11-time National Championship Coach, Head Coach for UCLA. These two females are incredible. And after the presentation, much like Kate, I'm a stalker. I walked right up to him and said, My girlfriend and I do a podcast. You need to be on this podcast. I'm telling you. They both looked at me, and some people would be like, I don't know. Let me think about it. Not these two. They gave me their phone numbers, their emails. And here's the thing how about this? Sue Inquist at the very end of this podcast. Yeah. Kate, did you notice? I did shouts out her cell phone number and says, here it is. And that is the type of real, incredible, amazing women that you are going to have the opportunity to be with here on unsupervised leadership for the kickoff of season two. But before we get there, Kate, I thought you had some would you rathers for us before we went any further. I don't want to forget about that because I know this is important to you. It is. Told me you didn't want to tell me what they were. And I don't want to know what they are. Cause I want, I don't want to overthink this because these are important things to me.
0: Yeah. This should be important to you because okay. we need to, we need to know what you would rather do on any given day starting now. Okay.
1: Ready? Here's your yes. first option. Have you thought about this? Oh yeah. I know what I would pick for each of these. Oh no. Okay. So next time I get to choose and yeah, then I get can ask up. you. Okay. You're All right. Great. Okay. okay.
0: So the first one is easy. Cause we joked about it. Would you rather be
1: skinny or smart? Skinny every day. Okay. I want to be skinny. I want to be able to wear whatever I want at any given time. And I want to be skinny. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Thank okay. you.
0: Okay. I love this. What about you? I can't tell you yet. I'm going to tell you at the end. Oh, okay. that's how the scheme works. Okay. Oh, I didn't
1: know that. Okay. All right.
0: Well, we could do however you feel. I mean, if you feel like I should answer right now, I will. I mean, I kind um, of feel like you should, cause I'm going to forget. So what Okay, do you- so I think you're going to die because I think I'd rather be smart because I could figure out a way to be skinny without working
1: out. If I was so smart, how's that going for you? Well, I'm not that smart. That's the reason that I said that. I mean. I feel like I'm smart, but I just want to be skinny. I get it. But listen, I mean, I feel like I'm a smart human, but I haven't figured out to be skinny. <laughs> okay. Ready? Would you, would you rather
0: never gain another pound in your life or never be able to have another sip of alcohol?
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to answer that. This is I mean, I should have been able to prep for this before, because this is a challenge. Yeah. I do not want to gain another pound ever. As you know, this is what we've been talking about. Okay. However, the thought of not having another sip of alcohol, that would be very challenging given the fact that, I mean, I've already given up blue moon, so maybe I could do that. I don't know. Can I come back to that one? i need sure. to sure we can circle back. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm glad this isn't a job interview. I'd be <laughs> failing. Okay, love your job and get paid close to nothing. You're like a
0: volunteer worker, or absolutely hate your job and have a calendar to the days that you retire, but get paid a lot of money. Love my job. Okay, percent. Yep. Would you rather have no one come to your wedding or your
1: funeral? Oh my! Where do you get this? Oh my God. Okay. I don't know. My hope is that I've. Created and left a legacy that people would show up for both. I can't imagine. Well, that you can't pick both. Can't, That's not yeah, the one. I, know you know. I don't not. know. It's like a terrible like choice. No, I, it's not. I, mean, like, I guess my. I guess I would say I want people to show up for my wedding because if I'm dead and gone. Am I really going to know? But I would hope that I would know. At okay, the same point. this is a hard one. I mean, like I want your answers <laughs> This is very challenging. This sucks. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Wait, what was your answer though? I don't know. I, I, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say funeral. You know why? Okay. Because I will always remember the people that showed up for my dad's funeral. Mm. I, will, I will forever remember that. And my good friend and sparkle sister, Bobna Sharma Lewis told me you're forever going to remember who showed up. And it's not that you remember the people who didn't, but you will remember the people who did. And she's right about that. And I remember any person. So for me, I I think I'm going to choose the funeral one on that. Okay. That was a good, that was a thoughtful response. <laughs> thank thank you. you. Well, I haven't been able to prepare,
0: but thank you. IAR. They would have said that was really well thought out. You made connections to real life. Uh, would you rather go back in time and meet your ancestors like your great, great grandparents or... Time travel to your future and meet your great grandchildren.
1: I would rather meet my great grandchildren.
0: Oh, okay. That's nice. (laughs) No, that's good. I like that. I would. Without a doubt. Okay.
2: Would you rather get explosive (laughs) diarrhea on vacation on every day of your vacation you planned for a year or? Just all day when you have a big presentation at work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I would rather have it on vacation. <laughs> oh my you know, God. The Totally. And I'll tell you why See, the job that I have right now. If that happened to me, I would not be able to stand in front of thousands of people all day long. But if I'm on vacation, I can hide in my hotel room, even though I'd be so mad that I paid so much money to go on vacation, but I need to remain employed. And so I don't want that to happen to me when I'm at work. <laughs>
2: So let me get this straight. You're choosing a week long.
1: <laughs> I'm yes, I'm choosing to have diarrhea for Over my vacation than to have it ever at work. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm sorry. This is a terrible. I listen. We should have <laughs> talked about this before we got on here. This was awful. Oh my gosh. No, you're ridiculous.
2: This is so good. Cause you know what? That means you take your work super
1: seriously. Cause I would think you know at work because I would be like, that's because you work in a building and people know you can go hide in a bathroom and no one's going to notice if you're in front don't of like a thousand people, they're going to no. know. People come looking for me at all minutes of the day. They would know. (laughs) But you could hide in a bathroom and say you were in a meeting. If you're the (laughs) presenter, you don't get to do that. Okay. I'm just saying. Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, I can't can't stop laughing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. So to close out, like, we know that you can always count on Courtney. (laughs) It's going to be there for you. I can't, I can't stop laughing because you didn't think I would say. What
1: did you think we would say? Like, what of answer? This is why we should practice and prepare before we get on this. I, th- I told you we should talk about this before, and you didn't want to, and now here we are. What a train wreck! <laughs> I thought you would say like, I would rather have diarrhea one day at work. Because- <laughs>
2: no one day like you don't know what i do
1: then you choose seven (laughs) days of it i'm choosing seven days of diary on (laughs) vacation then one day in front of a thousand teachers yes yes i am and i think every educator listening totally is respecting that because they get it i mean like if it's not me then who's gonna I mean, I'm not like, I don't have a backup plan. Okay. <laughs> Listen, enough with your stupid questions. This was a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. I'm with the, I'm back together. So I can't recap what we
1: just talked about because I'm going to start crying laughing. Nobody again. knows. Let's go ahead and lead in to I mean, poor Sue and Ashley, that this is how their lead in is going to happen, but We have Sue Enquist, who is the 11 time national championship (laughs) head coach for UCLA softball. She's incredible. She is real talk. She's now a consultant. But the day that we interview, which is you're going to hear about, she was with USA volleyball team. She works with the most accomplished athletes in the entire country and is just a a rock star. And then we also have Ashley Stone, who worked for the Chicago Bulls, which she's going to talk about. But she's the athletic director and student athlete experience and the senior woman administrator at Oakland University. And she's all about coaching people up to do what they want to do with their life. Both of these women are F four leaders. They are inspiring. They're encouraging. They're supportive. And they are real talk. And that's why we wanted to start season two with this. And what we should have done is asked them.
3: (laughs) All about.
1: Yeah, what uh, what their would you rather questions would be. But I think now we've given you a little bit of insight about what season two is gonna be.
4: Hi everyone, this is Babna Sharma-Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. Imposter syndrome is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It disproportionately affects high achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments. Many people question whether they are deserving of accolades. I'm sharing this with you because many of you might be feeling this way. I know I do, and it's empowering to not feel so alone in our thinking. I sometimes say to myself, I have a great life, wonderful family, loyal friends, and an amazing career. But when are people gonna figure out that I don't deserve any of this? I have realized that this is just negative self-talk stemming from my own subconscious and my own insecurities. So let's all stop with the self-deprecating behavior and stop beating ourselves up and start building ourselves up. Be grateful, live graciously, and celebrate our accomplishments. We are all worthy and deserve to live our best lives. Cheers and sparkle on.
1: Kate, this is our season two opening interview, and we have the best of the best with us.
0: Are you so excited? Listen, I am so excited because they're about to be my friends after this podcast again, and they're phenomenal. This is how I meet all my new friends, and I can't wait for all of you to meet our new friends because they are fantastic F4 leaders.
1: This is it. We are so excited. Welcome to Ashley and Sue. Welcome to Unsupervised Leadership. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Listen, we are thrilled that you are here. So let's let's just get started. First of all, I want both of you to briefly talk about your stories, a little bit about your journey, and most importantly, what is your favorite drink? Okay, Sue, we're going to start with you on this one.
3: Oh, this is, uh, lo- let me go ahead and just lead off with my favorite drink, then we'll talk about my life story, because that will be a lot shorter, talking about my drink. I am a... Vodka, cranberry, loyalist, but I also am a big talker when it comes to drinking. I'm the one that swirls it up, but you'll see me nursing the same drink all night. As far as my life story, it's pretty simple in terms of I've been surrounded and blessed to be around people my entire life that taught me that hard work and good attitudes going to get you pretty far. I am a direct recipient of Title IX, and so my life changed drastically in high school because of that federal mandate that says boys and girls get equal access to education and uh, play, which athletics falls under, and that led me to UCLA. I've been at UCLA for 40-plus years as a student, a coach, administrator, and now teaching graduate school. And then on the side, I love to consult around team cohesion, individual mastery. This is how I met up with my amazing co-presenter in, and podcaster here, Ashley. Um, it's a treat to be here with all of you. I would like to have a disclaimer to all our listeners. I'm technically retired. I have no boss. So I'll be the one unlike the others, probably a little bit too unplugged.
1: <laughs> Unsupervised. Yeah. Great. Yes. We love that. Okay. Well, one thing is for sure. Kate and I can say that we don't nurse a drink. Okay. That's where we're already different. Too.
4: <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah. Okay. Ashley, you're up. Yeah. I love it. So I actually wish I had a drink with me, uh, right now. Cause I think that would even help me become more in plugs. I'm usually uh, definitely more on the professional side, but I, similar to Sue, I'm going to start out with my favorite drink, It also stems with vodka, so I'm a big vodka tonic fan. And during Mm. COVID, I spent more time uh, with my brother and sister-in-law. Went up to Chicago quite a bit, and so we had greyhounds every Saturday afternoon. Which, if you guys haven't heard of those, those are vodka grapefruit juice. Oh, a good, a good drink right there.
3: Good one.
5: Yeah. Um, So moving on to my story. So I was born and raised in Nebraska, and um, right, I, I think the term is like for a goal, right? A dream without a wish. And Sue, you're going to be able to probably pull this quote out because I know you're so (laughs) polished and everything, but right. It's just a wish. And so a dream with a goal, right. Can come to fruition. And so I went to my first professional sporting event when I was a junior in high school. And the moment that I walked into the United center in Chicago to watch the bulls play to the moment that I left at that point, my first dream was actually created and the seed was planted inside of me. To recreate the experience my brother and I had for every single individual who walked into United Center, whether it was their first basketball game at the age of seven or their last basketball game at the age of 98, and so I was hooked. Um, I went to Wichita State for my undergrad in sport management, and I was dead set on right working in professional sports, becoming the director of marketing and community affairs for the Chicago Bulls. So my vision was focused. I was doing a lot of different internships, and what was funny. In my final internship after graduate or after uh, undergrad, uh, there was a moment when it just kind of struck me that I didn't want to work in sports. Um, So trying to make this a little bit shorter than a long story, met with a professional coach and she's like, Ash, if you could do anything for the rest of your life and not get paid for what would you do? And it didn't take me long to say, you know what? I actually want to be a professional encourager. Um, So I pivoted. I went to work in student affairs and lo and behold, after my grad program in student affairs, sports refound me um, when learning I could be really a career coach and life coach for student athletes. And so that's kind of how my twist got turned. Um, And so I continue to pursue that and ended up right now uh, as an associate athletic director and senior woman administrator in a college uh, athletic department. So that's kind of my story a little bit longer than what I wanted to share, um, but that's really how my journey started and how it essentially came full circle in the sports realm.
1: That's awesome. Ashley, I remember when we presented that you were making a comment about how old you are versus the people that you supervise. Do you want to just quickly talk about that? And then I know Kate's going to lead us into something different.
5: Yeah. So is there anything specific you would like me to share? Right. Cause that, that comment can maybe go a couple of different places.
0: She's trying to tell you, you look great and super young. And so is that awkward? Yeah. Is that awkward for other people? Or have you ever had a, an experience or an encounter where you're like, I'm probably younger than you, but I'm giving you directives or like some sort of motivational or inspirational speech right now. Does that ever make you feel uncomfortable? Sorry, Court, if that's,
5: that's it. Nailed it. Perfect. Uh, I think there have been times, right? So I am relatively young. I'll be 35 this year. So I started as an associate AD and senior woman administrator when I was 30 or 31. Um, And that essentially was the pinnacle of what I wanted my career to be. And so managing people who are 20 or 30 years older than me, specifically in areas that I've never had personal experience, I think was a challenge, but you come back and Sue can talk about this too, a lot like your values, right. And knowing who you are as a leader. And it's like, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to help you work through problems and, you know, different situations together. We're a team until I actually have to tell you what to do. So every single person who reported to me, whether it was a coach or a staff member within my first, probably three or six months, they said, Ashley, you're our boss tell us what to do. And I would say, no, we're a team, right? We're going to figure this out together until I may have to make the final decision. Um, but it has been difficult in some situations. And I will say it doesn't even matter for some of our younger coaches. It's interesting to see sometimes how comments do get brought up about our age or even how young that we look. But I think through any position we've all had, right, we haven't been provided something that we necessarily weren't qualified for something maybe that we didn't earn. So I kind of come back to that too. in, in those processes.
0: Thank you. That's great. Okay, here's a two-part question. The first part is for Sue. Second part is for Ashley. Sue, you work with a lot of females and you somehow make winning seem easy. What's your secret?
3: Well, I think anybody that's in the performance industry, all of us on this podcast are in the performance industry. We're trying to get people to understand the idea of mastery, whether you're in 10th grade or you're working towards a PhD or you're a senior executive, when we can get people to understand that you actually never arrive, Mm -hmm. that we're literally a work in progress, Then this idea and the pressure we put on ourselves that we're supposed to be at a destination to be able to win, to get a result, which is really, to keep the theme going on Friday, the cocktail for disaster, if everyone is doing everything for the last one minute of a 12-month year. And so everything that we did at UCLA, everything I teach as a consultant now, is getting people to be obsessed with building a better relationship with feedback Mm -hmm. see feedback is difficult because it's so personal and because it's so personal and we as leaders historically have done a bad job of creating the conditions for us to be emotionally safe feedback then becomes an enemy you know ashley said something really powerful and i think for for those young leaders especially this idea that you need to know everything you could hear in her voice she's like yeah no i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to boss you around we're going to be in this journey together you know uh that collaborative approach that transformative approach to leadership is really probably more relevant today than it was 30 years ago but this is what i know about winning if we want to talk about the destination and we are obsessed i get a, a royalty off of my winning i get it a you know i get promoted off of my my good grades from my students If we could get people to take inventory on what they do Monday through Friday, so on test day, presentation day, game day, that game day and the moments that are in that game day, those moments are never bigger than your body of work Monday through Friday because you built a relationship with feedback. That person's going to be at their best. And for us, being able to win over time is about just being ready in the moment and being ready in the moment just means this moment will never be bigger than my body of work.
0: Wow, that was very impactful, Sue. Now I feel like I need to take some notes on what you just said, honestly. <laughs>
3: well, you're, cause we're all in the same, we're, we're all actually, we all share the same DNA that all of us, I'm gonna, I am going i do not know you that well, but if you're at the position you're at and you're crushing it, like I know you are, we couldn't not care I know, I know, double negative. We couldn't not care if we tried. And because of that, how can we now create the conditions for people to fall in love with the idea of getting better? Even though you all are you all are in a goat rodeo right now. Education is an organized goat rodeo. I told you she was retired. At the end of the day, if we could remember every day, I am going into the goat rodeo. Things are unstable, out of control. We have to pivot every 30 seconds. But inside, you know, no one moment is bigger than the body of work. I'm going to be able to get through this. And so are my students, my athletes and my performers.
0: Yeah. I'm going to open my faculty meeting with the goat rodeo analogy. I can't wait.
3: Right. And you can (laughs) use me so you don't get in trouble for profiling goats, you know? Okay.
0: That's true. Yeah. This is good.
3: We don't want anybody in trouble.
0: That's right. All right. Ashley, what do you see as other coach secrets in this area? Like, do you have any words of wisdom or things that you're like, this is how, you know, you come together as a team. This is the most important part of- you know, making this seem easy and still loving your job because you sound like you still love your job, which is fantastic.
5: I do. We're actually going through another series of budget cuts. So um, all day long, I've been trying to help our athletic trainers and the coaches I oversee right, be strategic in making those cuts. And so this is a third year now we've had to make them. And so what do you do to make the office environment enjoyable? Um, And so for me, I, I always come back even through tough decisions. It's like, it doesn't matter Who's right? Right, it matters what's right, and so trying to bring us to that group atmosphere. Um, but one of uh, my staff members is a two-time All-American in basketball, and so we had a tournament today, and she absolutely beat me in horse. She beat me in pig, and so we try to have some of those fun fun moments, right, as we go about our day. Um, we're also redoing our student center, and so we we moving some tables out to the dumpster, and instead of right unscrewing some of the legs, we decided to take our you know current frustrations out on the legs. So there was some you know karate chopping and karate kicking. And so I think right we're here to provide the best experience for our students. And that doesn't mean that we have to rip the fun out of our days. It's just how do we infuse fun into what we're doing? So uh, we try to, to bring the, the joy behind me. I know you guys can't see it because it's behind a trophy, but there's a bucket in my office. And I can't remember if I shared this, Courtney, with you and Sue, but I'm a big fan of the idea of like, how full is your bucket? That's one of my favorite verses. And so I always think about how can I fill people's buckets today? What are things that I can do? Um, and so any little moment that brings me joy, whether it's a thank you card, it could be just a student dropping by to bring me a picture, I have it in my bucket. And so I try to go through my day and, and help my staff to think of how can we fill other people's buckets, regardless of you know what's going through our minds or the stuff that we're dealing with on a daily basis, even financial implications.
1: You can need a bucket for your office, Kate. I do need a bucket for my office. That's a good idea. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, we got to fill each other's bucket. Okay, so think about this. Let's go unplugged. Ready? There's a lot of times when women feel like they say something and they're being assertive, but other females or males in the organization think you're not assertive, you're rude, you're aggressive. Yet if a man says it in the same context, in the exact same way, they're considered to be leaders. How do you combat that? Do you see that? What's your advice? Sue, we'll start with you.
3: Uh, First of all, I think the, the groups of people that I've had the experience of working with that have really mastered this reality is they take control of what they can control. So this idea of trying to change people's perception of that, that's kind of a big Nugget to crack, right? So, this is what they do, and I see it over and over. They first build a women's group that talks about the challenges that women more times than not have than men. One around um, just home health care, raising children, being the breadwinner and the overseer of the house. That's number one. And then number two is around how to be a strategic leader with your female cohort. Women are phenomenal if you tackle. That's what happens because we have the issue in two ways. Men say, oh, you're being, you know, you're being a, a bitch because we are unplugged. You're being a bitch. And then the guy says it and is like, oh, John, that's brilliant. That's just brilliant. i mean, a little hardcore, but it's brilliant, right? I don't know if we can change their perception, but what we can do is we can do a better job of strategically in meetings, supporting women in when they're getting ready to lean into something literally go down to the micro behavior side is that when women have leadership meetings prior to uh, meetings where they're both genders in there, but also for women to women to learn is we do have that tendency to hold women back, even as other women in a competitive workspace. But if we prepare them to say, this is all going to happen to us. And when we see that happening, it's important in the meeting, I'm going to, you guys, I'm going to be leaning in on this budget meeting around uh, the women's athletics in on campus. I just want you to tune in anything that you can add to that. And then what you do as the female supportive person is to be able to say, yeah, you know, when Sue had mentioned that about that budget increase, I've lived it firsthand over there in the athletics department that, you know, the women don't have the gym, they have to go outside and the boys have the gym indoors. So to be able, to be collaborative and planning around the things we can control. Number one, how we treat each other, but how we support that tone and that tenor. So those people that are going to say those things Um, may be affected differently when they start to hear the same thing twice said a different way, but they're saying the same thing. I think that's really important versus how do we get some of these people that think that way? I think it's a tough thing to try to change other people's perception, be more strategic and smart and connected going in with your other women colleagues.
1: Yeah, that's smart. So in thinking about that, Ashley, do you see organizationally that sometimes women hold women to a higher standard than they hold males in the organization? Have you ever witnessed that?
5: I think in previous organizations I've had right now being a senior staff member and one of the leaders in the department, I try like right as Sue saying when a you know female in the organization speaks up, reiterating right the power in her words the idea that she's had. Um, so I definitely think in previous organizations, I have seen that I'm part of a, a couple of different women's organizations. And Sue, I know you're familiar with both. One is we coach and the other is women leaders in college yep. sports. And so one thing that Patty, who's the fearless leader of women leaders in college sports always says, right, there's a special place in heaven for women who help other women. There's also a special place in hell for women, right. Who don't, who don't help women. And so with that, it's, you know, it'd be great if we could all work together more instead of trying to compete against each other, because right when we do work together, we're obviously going to be much better off and continue to model the way for other people who maybe haven't seen, you know, that way been modeled before even model the way for younger folks who are coming up in the field for both not only women right and in females, but also for men. Trying to show them right how we should truly treat everyone in the workplace, whether they are women, whether they're men, doesn't matter.
3: And you know, Courtney, I, I, if I could jump on uh, additional thought around that, this idea that we we know that men have a tendency to to lean in and to leap, even if they're not prepared, and women are, are constantly wait to be called upon, but when you put women in a more organized unit that's unified they actually are even more empowered cuz they have that emotional safety and for me when i think about women that do hold other women down i think it's because women have a higher standard we have a higher standard so it's not only i want to get the job i'm competing against you cuz there's only going to be one female that's going to go up to the top possibly but i think they have a higher standard when i talk to leaders that women leaders that say yeah i mean these men that i work with i, I I couldn't possibly have a higher standard they're they're not capable they're not fully evolved they're still sitting in 1999 and so to me that's all about the standard so, As much as it is a bit of a flaw for women, I also think there's some silver lining in there that we just have a higher standard of each other.
0: We have this conversation all the time, right, about like your work ethic. And it's like, well, I don't want my name to be attached to something that I'm not proud of. And it's I think women are really very dedicated to that. It's everything in a certain sense.
3: Amen. Can I just comment on that, Kate? Even down to job interviews, I want to articulate a quick story. I was on a search committee for a coach, and one was a male, one was female for this job for women's athletics. It was like eight, nine, ten to one calls coming in for the male. And the standard for people to call on behalf of somebody else that's a male was unbelievable. My favorite part was like. I said, okay, so Nate, that's amazing that you love Jared so much. Tell me how you know him again, because he, he kept talking about him, but I couldn't make the connection. And he's like, well, my father played basketball with his dad, and I'm like, yeah, and he, <laughs> and he goes, yeah, so, like my dad told me so many amazing stories, but didn't even know the guy, but yeah. but would call, and and I'm he's probably telling the truth, and he believes he's telling the truth, women need to be able to say is this somebody that deserves an opportunity to succeed do i have record that she has stolen cheated we've got to work the other way and not like oh well you know she hit three home runs but they weren't that far over the fence right it's that mindset we got to get away from that
1: yes yes we do That's for
0: sure. Seriously. That's so right. Like, oh, she's, you know, got this job, but she also has to do all this other stuff at home or, oh, she's going to school, but she's never going to use that degree or, oh yes, that was so well said.
3: And we talk about the lonely work, right? Women have a complete Another world around the lonely work, people say, oh, well, how hard, you know, it takes 40 minutes to get all your shopping done. I mean, how hard can it be? But no one's talking about the lonely work, the work behind the work to do the research on the products, what kind of toothpaste, all that kind of stuff. I always challenge women that work that have husbands in a traditional job is to let them go do the shopping without the shopping list. You you go pick the right Tuesdays, but I don't know the right Tuesdays. Tell me the type. No, no, do the research. I don't know what type of deterred. Do the re that to me, that's the lonely work. It's the work behind the work. And we don't recognize that. And women need to be proud of that. And here's a disclaimer: unsupervised. I'm such an authority on being a wife and a mother. I'm such an, a sport parent. And I'm none of those. I'm none of them. I'm not a wife. I'm not a mother of a child. But what I have seen, I've stood in one place for 27 years. I watched great parenting. I watched women that were moms and presidents of Fortune 100 companies. And they were proud of talking about the lonely work. They were proud about the three jobs that they do, you know? And we need to do a better job of that because. Ashley and Kate and Courtney, you're going to be the generation that says, oh yeah, let me show you everything. And I'm not, sh- I have no shame about it. Yeah. I am going to take time off to have a child deal
0: mm-hmm.
3: deal. Like I I'm dealing with a company right now, fortune 100 company. They're putting together strategy groups on how to retain people that just got married. This is forward thinking people. They're doing strategy groups on people that are getting married. Because they know the odds are in the next four to six years, there's going to be a baby coming. How do we retain this woman that is a rock star? To me, that's proactive. Hello, everybody. Okay. Tune in. These women, these moms, they are powerful commodities. And yes, they can also run your schools and your classrooms and your ball fields.
2: Preach. Yeah. Preach. Yes. We're
0: excited over wow. here. See?
3: Big know-it-all that doesn't know anything because I've never done it, but I've watched it firsthand.
0: (laughs) That's right. great. All right. So talking to both of you, you're both extremely influential. You're dedicated. You've got it going on in your careers and your personal life. But how do you make time for both? Like, how do you make time for balance? Is that important to you? What kind of advice would you give to someone that's like, yes, I'm, I'm killing it in my career. I love it. I love it. I love it. But I can't remember the last time I did something for myself.
5: Let's say do, do what works for you the past two years. And I'm not sure if it's been the way in you know, your three worlds too. And I'm just going to make the assumption that it has. I know within the staff that I ever see, and even my role, I took on, you know, overseeing COVID took on some other tasks. And so, you know, we didn't put in 40 hours a week. It was always more than that. And so this summer, and I was burnt out twice. I was burnout. out April, 2021, and then November, 2021. And so during those times, I was like, I got to figure out what's going to work best for me. And so I had the epiphany this summer where I was like, Ashley Stone, I was like, I want to come back refreshed and ready to kick off the school year. And I desperately want that for my staff too. So I made the executive decision. I didn't talk to my boss, anyone. I just said, y'all, I want you guys to work remote at least one day a week. And I say, when I work remote and I'm telling you this, like quote unquote, working remote, means not even picking up any, you know, piece of paper, do not check your emails. I want you guys to come back refreshed. And so my boss is like, well, Ashley, you're going to do that too, aren't you? And I said, you know what, I will do that. And so what's interesting is I have learned, and I would think, Sue, you're probably wired the same way, is that I don't do well with free time. And so the day off that I've taken per week, even though I've still listened to webinars and done other things like that, because I enjoy being productive and I never want to be behind the eight ball. So I've never taken a Friday off when I've done remote work this summer. I've taken a Thursday off because I know if I'm left with three days back to back where I don't have much to do, I will go stir crazy. And so it's really figuring out the best balance because there are people who would be like, Ash, I want a three day vacation. I said, take it like you guys know that I'll be here on a Friday. If you need me to do something for you when you're doing a three day weekend, fantastic. So really just do what works Best for you, I know it's been said right? You can't pour from an empty cup, and I've heard that consistently over the years, and you know this year, I finally learned the importance of that and really figuring out what works for you and going for. It. I've also played golf every Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, so that's where I'm headed right after this call. So whatever fills your bucket, figure it out and go do it.
0: That's great. I'm going to leave right now and go do that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome.
5: Love it. We got cocktails.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm all pumped up. I got to get out of here now.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think for me, I think for me, two things, when I think about time, I think about when you take, everybody has those 24 hours, right? We have to own that we have that, right? I always say, you know, me, Jesus Christ and Beyonce, we all have 24 hours. And when I need, it took me a long time to get to this place. But when I need that time, I have to, let, Ashley's so right, I have to be disciplined to take the time because I actually get inspired by doing work. But I do know my body will appreciate and I'll have more longevity if I do take care of my machine, right, my, my body. And for women that are doing so many things, one thing I want to share with them, because I remember saying this and, and I said, you know what? You've got to find a half a day. You remember single woman, you gotta find a half a day. And I had this woman come up and she goes, you know, you half this room, we're, we're married with kids. That was one of the most irrelevant and inaccurate things. There isn't a mother out there that can take off a half a day on a Saturday. It's not realistic. And it made me readjust my message around. Take control of moments during the day. It could be seven minutes to disappear in the bathroom. As one of my players told me, Coach, you know what I do? Every day at one o'clock, I lock myself in the bathroom for 14 minutes and I watch, I listen to my music. And that's a sense of control because sense of control to take time in minutes creates balance, even if it starts out really small.
1: Have you had a time that you have failed in your life, in your career, and you've learned from it? How do you view the term? failure. What does that look like for you? Sue, you want to start?
3: Yeah, for me, I've had uh, more failure than anybody um, in the country, I think. And what I'm proud of is I have a very good relationship with failure. High performers that sustain excellence over time have a really good relationship with failure. They see it as a learning opportunity. They see it as a mirror for, for the moment. Failure is an event It's not a character accusation that I am a loser. I lost. And so when people out there that are performing can say, you lost in this moment, you fell short in this moment, you missed the goal in this moment, this moment does not define my body of work as a high performer or as a good person. And then the second thing is I have a really airtight failure recovery system in that I own the moment. I set a new plan, I move forward, learn from the past and never look back. And so the idea of parents, performers, teaching our next generation is create safety in the condition so children can pack their chest. My bad, mom, I didn't make my bed. I've learned from it. I'm now gonna go and be better tomorrow. Teach them failure recovery so then they will never sit in that one moment for weeks at a time because we're not giving them the roadmap to move through it quickly. So own it, learn from it, and then project forward better than you were in that moment when you fell short.
5: Nice. That's great. You Ashley. I can listen to Sue talk all day long. Um <laughs> you too. I love it.
3: Yeah. I love listening to you guys.
5: So Sue and my approach to failure is very similar. So for me it's like you are you're basically always learning. So it doesn't even from a success, right? You figure out what went well and you want to repeat it every single time. And so for failure, for me it's not failure it's a learning lesson and so right how do you basically springboard off of that and before we talked about dealing with right individuals me managing individuals or coaching individuals who are younger than me but also maybe dealing with people who are bad at taking direction and so i think my biggest failure in my current position right in greatest learning opportunity came at the beginning of covid where there was a lot of information out there on what individuals should do you know the precautions that you should take and at what point do you have too much of a conservative approach. And what point do you follow CDC guidelines? And so long story short, I learned a great lesson in leadership through this because essentially I'm going to use the analogy of an angel on one shoulder and devil on the other, not for the angel and devil component, but basically saying, right, there are two different individuals talking to me and I need to make the decision. And so I was trying to make decisions based upon what I thought was right also trying to take in what I thought my boss was going to say, because at the end of the day, I knew that he was going to make the decision, but also try and balance the concerns and fears of my employees. And so I think in being able to lead well, right, you have to be a chameleon and that you shouldn't expect your staff to adapt to your style. You should observe how they listen. You should observe how they make decisions. You should re- specifically observe how they receive information. And so For me in that experience while i had probably one of the lowest of low seasons in my career the amount that i learned from that was immeasurable and so for me it's you know it's sticking to my gut and knowing that the way i lead has worked for me for a long time and will continue to work for me but through that failure which again was probably one probably the biggest one so far in my life where i feel as if i let my staff down and for you guys to know too for me i think the biggest thing in life is i never want to disappoint anyone And so in that moment, I feel like I not only disappointed my staff because I didn't communicate well enough with them, I disappointed myself in that I wasn't sticking true to my leadership, right? I was trying to infuse my bosses once in a way that I typically wouldn't communicate them with staff because I needed staff to understand that, hey, there wasn't any negotiating. This was a way that we were going to get forward instead of saying, this is what we're going to do, figured a way to get on board, right? It should have been more, hey, Courtney, I understand that you have concerns with this. I understand where those concerns are coming from. I understand how it impacts your staff. I understand how it impacts, right, the psychological safety that you need to do your job and do it well. Unfortunately, this is a way that we're going to have to move forward. And I really need you guys, you know, to buy into this. And so just a huge moment that I think was a huge light bulb switch for me that I think has probably impacted my leadership almost as much, if not greater than any other learning lesson so far in life. There's so many
1: people that in our education right now, listening to what you just said, Ashley, and they are like having PTSD about decisions and leadership concerns and challenges that they've had over the past two years. I appreciate you saying that. And Sue, when I hear you talk about that, I just want you to quickly tell everyone, I know you said that you're not a parent, but I am. And I came to you and said, my daughter just started softball and I hate it. I hate it so much. I can't stand it. I'm like, Sue, will you coach her? And will you coach me on being this parent? And your advice was get out to right field and sit out there because I was saying I'm on the, you know, I'm in the bleachers and all the stuff happening. And I just, it was a different experience for me having a quote unquote athlete that you're sitting there as this parent. What's your best advice to parents? Cause we do have a lot of parents that struggle with that. And you've had so much experience. Tell us what your best parental advice is to people who have kids that are playing sports.
3: Well, for, first of all, two things. I want to dovetail what Ashley said about our high performing women leaders in education that are listening. Uh, don't ever worry about ma- making a bad choice because you're never going to have to probably say, well, I didn't throw away a trophy like Sue Enquist did. So uh, that was a pretty big (laughs) fail in that moment. And at the end of the day, you want to be able to make decisions that in reflection, if you fail, people will always say, she took these steps that were in line with her character and you don't ever have to worry about Here's a bell I can't unring. Throwing away a trophy didn't align with my body of work. And I'll never, even though I know that, I'll never be able to unring that bell. So I just always want to share with administrators that have to make so many hard decisions. Just when you make that one big fail, just remind yourself, well, at least I didn't throw away a trophy and the whole country got to listen to it and hear about it. If you don't believe me, just Google Enquist Trophy and Trash watch what comes up. It's pretty ugly. Um, Anyway, about parenting, this is just one quick thing. Takes about 30 seconds. If I'm a parent, if I could think about going to the park every day, a parent of a performing child could be a spelling bee, could be a math contest. It could be an athletic, a dance event, art contest, whatever. If I could go into that environment like the same standards as I go into a movie, go in quietly unseen and sit down be quiet and listen to what's going on in the front of the room. Turn your phone off and just enjoy the emotional journey of watching a movie because that's really what it's like. You aren't part of the movie. You're not a charge of opining on the movie when the movie's going on. And then when the game or the event is over – Get in the car, put your hands on the wheel 10 and 2 as a reminder. Please don't break it down. Please don't ask the questions unless they want to talk about it. Let it be their moment to decompress after moments of performance where there are people that there's going to be a winning team and a losing team. So be secondary in that environment. It's not about you. Always think about the movie. And then when you get in the car, let them talk first. And it may be a quiet ride home. And to, when I deal with, eight, 10, 12 years old, they say, I love it when my parents are just quiet in the car and they don't relive the game. These kids are exhausted. Give them their space to be themselves and build their own confidence.
1: Thank you. Great advice.
0: I think that's everybody's initial thing, right? Whether it's your kids, your friends, your spouse, whomever, whenever they make a decision or do something big, it's like, how did it feel? Are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? (laughs) Last major question that we have for you both is when you think of some of the greatest life advice or pieces of advice you've learned throughout your journeys, and you're thinking about our female listeners in specific, that struggle with imposter syndrome or self doubt? Like what are some things that you've either come encounter in your own life with it or had friends or relatives or people that you coach come up and said, like, I don't think I can do this. I'm not meant for this. I'm not made for this. And, and they're just in a really dark spot. What do you do to get them out? I'm going to take this
5: one first and hopefully that's okay with everyone. So what's interesting is, right. I, I wanted to be the director of marketing and community affairs for Chicago Bulls when I experienced my first game there. I invested so much in it I didn't listen to the blinders outside of me and so in that process all my passions inside of me started to change and the reason I share that with you and why I went into student affairs to be a professional encourager I think is specifically for this imposter syndrome because I truly believe that I was put on this earth to basically help women um, specifically realize their potential and in the process of expanding that potential, building them the characteristics that they need to continue to be confident. So while I was at Nebraska, I also worked with their, their softball team. So Sue and I have a connection in that component. And you had All-Americans. And it would be so interesting because they are absolute ballers on the field, right? The best of the best, but yet there may be little things that they just don't have the confidence for. And so for me, I want to speak confidence into the people that I work with. And it's a tiny little thing, right? I mean, it could be, hey, do you realize that you just did this one little thing where you took initiative and by taking initiative and following up the right way, it leads to this. And so being able to be an active observer in their life to be like, did you realize when you did this, this is how you made that person feel? You can do that again. And so just kind of helping them understand the potential that they have. And while that potential may have been exposed in different areas where they've succeeded, it doesn't mean that they can't be successful in academics or as a car salesperson, or if they want to become an entrepreneur or whatever else. So I would think that I'm probably one of the best type people. So if someone has those insecurities or doubts, I want to be the first person they talk to just because I feel like I have been blessed with the gift of reminding people why they were put on this earth, why they're in the position that they're in the position for. But I'm also a firm believer that everything that we've ever done before in life has prepared us for that next moment, whether it's filled with imposter syndrome or not. We're there for a reason, and I 100% know that every single individual will get through it as long as they look into their skill set, follow their gut, and do the same thing that they've done with everything else. Like, none of us have ever had experience with the job that we currently have until we actually given the opportunity to have the experience, and all four of us have crushed all those things, much like all of our friends have. So that's a little soapbox that I'm going to step down off of, Um, but again, it's like there's no reason to have imposter syndrome because of the skills that we possess generally as women, let alone those you know specific skills that we've gained and acquired over time. Kate and I want to be
1: professional podcasters and we yes. want you to coach us up. Yes. Listen, this, Kate, is this not no. true? This is a real thing. We are going to be professional
0: podcasters and we're going to call you both when we feel like we need to get amped up again because <laughs> I mean, you actually, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. it. We can this do it. Right.
5: Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Whatever you say, I could be a D1 athlete. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Let's do talking. it. I'll, I'll create you, write a walk up song. I was working with uh, an administrator <laughs> out in the East Coast and she, you could just tell she didn't have much confidence. I probably spent two hours trying to put a playlist together for her to use when she needed the extra confidence boost. So I am all in for women in leadership, helping people get there, reminding you of your awesomeness and your power. So whatever y'all need, I am pushing all my chips in. I'm here for y'all. I love it.
3: I, I would love to share something. It just seems so kind of surreal. I work with USA Volleyball. I was in the gym with them this morning. And one of the exercises that we do is uh, you stain my brain. And what it is, is it's just a sheet of paper. You put your name at the top and you move your paper to the left. Now the person to your left has your name. And you write down a performance skill that they're great at and how it made you feel and a relationship skill and how it made you feel. And then by the end of the exercise, it comes back, your paper comes back to you with 18 really epiphanies that you didn't realize other people are being impacted by you. Because the reason I do this exercise is we have to build up our vernacular, our inventory around our self talk, so that imposter syndrome has a fair opponent. It's called the evidence that I am a baller. I'm a member of the badassery club. Bring it on. The best way to do that is get your women group together, share the peer to peer, you stain my brain. We did that today because this team is on their march to the world championships. So even the best players in the world, they have a gold medal. They're the best 18 people in the world. They still have to work on that strong voice because we know as high performers, we always are saying we're not ready. We're not good enough. I tell them that's actually good tension. I hate the word imposter because it's, it's imposter denotes you're a fake. And I'm the person that just says, no, you have good tension. You need more vernacular around your strong voice that's keeping track of your body of work that says I actually am ready for the future unknown because people that have imposter syndrome, this is what's happening. You say, I'm not going to raise my hand or go for the job because I don't know this, 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 and this. You're projecting what you think you're going to have to know for that position Without saying what are all the things I've done that carry over and transfer into that future unknown. When in doubt, we say lean in. When in doubt, we say take the hop. When in doubt, know your people are behind you. Because at the end of the day, people are going to judge whether you go for it. They're not going to judge like, oh, she was, oh, she she was perfect, but she never got off the bench. She never ever went for it. People admire people that go for it, and then they judge. How you respond to failure. And so, for those young women out there, be great at taking the leap and be even better at owning the mistake and moving on. That was badassery right there.
0: It yeah. was. Now <laughs> we're like all in a badassery club, which is even better.
1: <laughs> T shirts, I mean, T shirts. Yeah. We're getting T shirts and we're going to do shots of vodka after this. this yes. Is yeah. great. We're going to do uh,
2: Greyhounds, Greyhounds. <laughs>
0: t-shirts. And yes, they have badassery club on it, and when people want to talk to us, we're going to play our pump up song.
2: It's yes,
1: going to be, it's gonna be the best. <laughs> you think we're yes. kids, but we're not. Listen, <laughs> this question, and it's so important. So, you are F4 leaders. Here's what F4 is it's all about this podcast, Unsupervised Leadership, which is about fun, fabulous, fierce females, and that is the two of you, which is why we wanted you to kick off season two. Do you have any favorite F4 leaders in your world that you want to give a shout out to right now?
3: Oh, I, I do. I want, to, I want to shout out to Carol Hutchins, the head coach from University of Michigan, one of our, our leading, uh, most winningest coach, leader of a values-driven culture. She retired yesterday. Shout out to Carol Hutchins.
5: I'm going to stick with that theme. And it was a sad day when Hutch retired. So uh, Coach Ron Ravel, she's a head softball coach at Nebraska. Probably as many tears flowed when Carol retired, it'll be the same for her. Those two are really good friends too. But one of the best women um, that I have worked for, been mentored by, has a heart of gold. And I'm getting some impact droplets in my eyes right now thinking about her. So Rhonda she uh, she's a great one. Yeah, oh, Ron's a great leader too, no doubt about it.
1: Well, you two have been incredible. We love you. We're gonna start stalking you, just we so you know. we're all best friends now. In case you yep. are doing right, Kate. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, gonna get shirts and everything. It's gonna be yes. great. Yes, I love it. Is there anything that you want to say to our listeners about if they wanted to contact you or if you want to promote anything about the work that you do? So, Ashley, any anything out there that you want to con- you want people to contact you or how they can get in touch with you?
5: Yeah. So uh, my email is ashleystone at oakland.edu, um, or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I think it's astone26, but happy to have any conversations with people. As you guys know, right, I'm big on believing in people and and sometimes folks have reached out to administrators who just don't respond. So happy to shed light and provide a listening ear where I can. That's awesome. Sue, what about you?
3: You know, just to say thank you to all those leaders out there that are doing the good work that are on the front lines, you can reach me pretty much on Twitter, Um, my personal cell phone, 310-528-1083. People can't believe I do that. But at the end of the day, we've got to be in this together. And uh, I just want to take a moment to thank Courtney and Kate. You know, you two have pushed the limits around education and talking about the good, bad and the ugly, and that's going to keep more teachers, administrators, leaders In your industry. So just a shout out to you all for spending the time and energy to do this, to let these people be heard and to be able to talk about them so they have things to lean on when they move forward.
1: Well, thanks Sue, because we're going to become professional podcasters after this. So (laughs) yeah, this is so great. Thank you. We're so inspired. Kate, go ahead and take us out for what is to come here in season two of Unsupervised Leadership, Listen, guys, I don't know how we're going to top this. Our
0: opener with two badassery women that we met today. (laughs) And they're here to help anytime you guys need it. When we get our professional studio, you two are coming in. We're going to have your shirts. It's going to be great. But until then, if you don't have a seat at the table, you can always sit with us. We'll see you next week.